Welcome to the PCTR Podcast. I'm Robbie Itterberg, Senior Pastor. I want to thank you for listening today. We hope that you hear from God and that this podcast encourages you in your faith journey. You can connect with us on social at facebook.com slash PCTRNJ or our Instagram handle, PCTRNJ. Or you can find more information or resources at PCTR.org. Have a great day. Peace. Good evening. If we haven't had the chance to meet, my name is Amanda Hubler and I'm the Director of Youth and Family Ministry here at the church. For the last three years, I've had the privilege of leading and loving on our middle school and high school students. And this evening, I have the privilege of unpacking God's word for us. I'm thankful for the opportunity to share a little bit of my story and Joseph's story as they intersect with God's greater story of redemption. This evening, we're continuing along in a sermon series called More to the Story, Bible Stories You Thought You Knew. The first week, we looked at the flood story of Noah's Ark, the remnant and the remaining being Noah and his family, the reassurance of God's promises to us in a rainbow, the restoration and repopulation of humanity. Last week, we looked at the scattering of God's people in the story of the Tower of Babel, the security, safety, and significance that is wrapped up in the person of Jesus, our strong tower. If you didn't get a chance to hear those, I would encourage you to go back and listen to those on our YouTube channel, PCTRNJ. Well, if you grew up in the church, these stories are probably familiar to you, ones that are common to children's Bibles and Sunday school lessons. And if that's your story, I have a word of celebration and a word of caution for you this evening. A word of celebration. Praise the Lord that you have a church background and history that affirms the foundations of the faith. That you have been exposed to and have experiences with the truth of God's word. What a beautiful thing. A word of caution. Please don't take it for granted. Please don't grow comfortable and complacent with what you know, the knowledge that you possess, as if there's not something new to glean and gain from the word that is alive and active to us this evening. It's worth repeating. You see, I didn't grow up in the church. I didn't know the songs or the stories. My biblical worldview wasn't formed by singing fruits and vegetables better known to us as the veggie tales. Maybe that's because I didn't love vegetables. Or maybe that's because I didn't love Jesus. I grew up in New Jersey and the name of Jesus and the good news of the gospel was not made known to me until I left this place. I didn't come to a place of surrender and salvation in Christ until I was a sophomore in college at Eastern Kentucky University. That's when I started to read the Bible for the first time. That's when I started to read these epic stories that we've been talking about in this series. And it was fresh, and it was childlike. May that be our approach to the text this evening. I'll be reading from Genesis chapter 37, verses 1 through 11. You can follow along in your Bibles or on the screen, but let's listen for God's word speaking to us this evening. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob's family line. 
Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age. And he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the fields when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream. And this time the sun and moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his fathers kept the matter in mind. This is the word of God. As we seek to make sense of Joseph's story, let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, it doesn't matter how many times we've read or heard this story because I'm convinced that we can't outgrow you. It's you that we seek this evening. Help us to understand your sovereignty in sin and suffering and your good purposes for your people. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This is just the beginning of the story of Joseph. It's in those first 11 verses in chapter 37 that we see the birth of an inherent conflict between Joseph and his brothers. Joseph is one of 12 brothers, number 11 in the birth order, followed by his baby brother, Benjamin. It's worth mentioning that Joseph and Benjamin were the only two boys that were born to Jacob and Rachel after the Lord had opened Rachel's womb. We don't have time to address it in full, but briefly to offer context, Jacob had two wives and two concubines or maidservants. His two wives were sisters, Leah and Rachel. Jacob loved Rachel more than Leah, but he was, married into deceive, he was deceived into marrying Leah. The love towards Rachel and the hate towards Leah pit them against each other and created this unhealthy pattern of comparison, coveting, and competition in their family. We see here in the text that Joseph is out pasturing the flock with his brothers. We learn that he's not the head down, do your work, mind your business kind of guy, but rather he takes on the role of being the ear to the ground for his father Jacob. On this particular day, Joseph shares a bad report of his brothers to his father. In other words, he snitches. I'm one of three children smack dab in the middle and it's been my experience that snitching has never helped find favor or foster friendship between my brothers and I. It's been a source of betrayal with consequences and conflict and that's true for the relationship between Joseph and his brothers. But in the sight of Jacob, or also referred to Israel in this part of the text, Joseph found favor. Jacob loved Joseph the most, more than all of his brothers, it says. He was the golden boy, 
And Jacob gifted him with a robe, a robe of many colors. I'm not a parent, and I don't claim to have it all figured out, but it's clear to me that Jacob's overt favoritism provoked his sons to anger and jealousy. It says they hated Joseph and they couldn't speak kindly or peacefully to him. Now Joseph begins to have dreams and he proceeds to share those dreams with his brothers. In his dreams, he's ruling and reigning over them. Cool story, bro. Like how is that even helpful at this point? The dreams made the brothers hate him even more. The image of the colorful robe in combination with Joseph's dreams is what gets a lot of attention in the children's Bibles. Although significant to the story, it's just a small part of what's really going on here. Joseph's story goes from Genesis chapter 37 all the way through the completion of Genesis in chapter 50. It starts with Joseph at the ripe age of 17 and it goes all the way to his death at 110. It's a complex and scandalous story. After I got baptized, I joined a local church and I got plugged into group life and I started to grow with other Christian women. I remember reading this story for the first time and being shocked. I think the tendency with a story this long and layered is to break it up into parts or to go ahead and just rush to the end. My hope is to summarize the fullness of Joseph's story. Just when you think it can't get any worse, keep reading. It gets worse before it gets better. In the latter part of chapter 37, Jacob sends Joseph to check on his brothers who were supposed to be out pasturing the flock near Shechem. When they saw him coming from afar, they conspired to kill him. The oldest brother, Reuben, had some sense to him, and he convinced the brothers, let's not kill him. And so instead, they decided to strip him of his robe, throw him in a pit, and leave him for dead. And then, you know, that makes you really hungry. So then they had to take a break to eat, and while they were eating, they see this caravan coming in. And it dawns on them, this caravan's going to Egypt. We could pull our brother out of the pit, and we could sell him for a profit. The shift was opportunistic, and the brothers exploited Joseph for 20 shekels of silver. Admittedly, I'm not well-versed on coin or currency, so I did a little bit of research to see what that would shake out to today. What I learned is that 20 shekels of silver is the equivalent to $160. With that information in mind, I'm curious. What would you sell your sibling for? (laughs) Just kidding. Don't answer that. Moving right along, in chapter 39, Joseph is brought down to Egypt and is bought by Potiphar, who is an officer of Pharaoh. The Bible says that the Lord was with Joseph and he became a successful man. Potiphar noticed that. He saw that the Lord was with Joseph and caused everything he did to succeed. As a result, Joseph found favor in the sight of Potiphar and was put in charge of all that he had. Things were going well until they weren't. Plot twist, Potiphar's wife took notice of Joseph, who was a handsome man, and wanted him to lie with her. Joseph refused, 
Although flattered, I'm sure, he had too much to lose. There was too much on the line. Under the weight of a rejection for a woman that I'm sure is probably not used to being told no and gets what she wants, Potiphar's wife falsely accuses Joseph of attempted rape. When Potiphar heard this, he was enraged and threw Joseph into jail. In chapter 40 and 41, Joseph interprets the dreams of two prisoners in jail and of Pharaoh himself. The discernment and wisdom given to Joseph by God pleased Pharaoh. As a result, Joseph found favor in the sight of Pharaoh. Sound familiar? Joseph was 30 years old when he entered into the service of Pharaoh. And according to Pharaoh's dreams, there was going to be seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. So Joseph was prepared. During those years of plenty, he started to store up all the grain and put it aside. When the famine hit, food shortages spread across the land. There was famine in all the lands, but there was still grain left over in Egypt. So Joseph's brothers went down to Egypt to buy grain to feed their families. Their very lives depended on it. Dreams really do come true. The brothers came and bowed down to Joseph, not once, but twice. Joseph knew who they were, but they didn't recognize him. When Joseph revealed himself to them, they were terrified. Because you have to remember, these are the same brothers that sold him into slavery. What they didn't know was that the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord sent Joseph ahead to save their very lives. You see, global famine threatened the promise of the covenant, just like the flood did in Noah's ark. But Joseph provided for and preserved the people, including his brothers. Most people would agree that the story of Joseph is a good lesson in forgiveness. Joseph doesn't retaliate against his brothers or exact revenge. He forgives them, and he's reconciled to them. But there's more to the story than the moralism. Forgiving others is biblical, and as followers of Christ, it's what we're commanded to do. But it's incomplete, and it doesn't have the power to save us from death. Not to mention, who's going to forgive Joseph? It might surprise you to hear me say that. And I think that's because when we read this story, we're inclined to want to name Joseph the good guy or the hero and blame the brothers as the bad guys or the villains of the story. And being as this is not a Disney movie and we didn't kill Jacob off in the beginning, we're probably okay with an indifferent approach to his character, maybe even apathetic. But what I would like to invite us to consider this evening is none of the characters are good, no, not one. All of them messed up and muddied the waters. In this story, Jacob is a repeat offender of overt favoritism and partiality. The brothers are jealous, bitter, angry, and overflowing with malice and hate in their hearts. Oh yeah, and Joseph? He's guilty of arrogance and pride. The passage from Ephesians 4 that was read for us earlier says, Forgive each other, just as in Christ forgave you. 
Moralism says to forgive each other. The gospel says that you need to be forgiven. Tim Keller says it this way. The gospel says that you are more sinful and flawed than you ever dare believed, but more accepted and loved than you ever dare hoped. The story of Joseph is a foreshadow and a foretaste for the forgiveness that is to come in the person and work of Jesus. After I graduated from college, I felt a calling to glorify God by investing in the next generation. I felt passionate about evangelism and discipleship, and I felt a burden for people who didn't have a relationship with Jesus. The unchurched and the dechurched. I went on staff with a college ministry called Campus Outreach at Eastern Kentucky University. I started in the fall of 2015, and one of the first students I met was Becca. I met Becca at a foam party for freshmen during move-in mania. For those of you that are not familiar with a foam party, I think we have a picture. It's an outdoor social event with a DJ and dancing and several feet of suds that are just like shooting out of this machine. It's a good time. This is actually a picture from the event in 2015 that I attended and met Becca at. And as the director of youth and family ministry here at this church, I just feel compelled to share with you that we could probably pull this off in the parking lot. <laughs> but that's for another time. A little bit more about Becca. Becca was from New York, and we hit it off. We were fast friends, and we had a lot in common. One of the things that we had in common is that Becca didn't grow up in the church either. Caught up in the excitement of it all, I made a rookie mistake, and I forgot to get Becca's number that night. I was disappointed, but it was a pretty small campus, so I was hopeful that maybe I would run into her in the calf or the gym or somewhere else on campus. A couple days later, my best friend and roommate, Susanna, she came home and she started to tell me about this girl, Becca. And I knew that God had given us an opportunity to do ministry together. Luckily, Susanna got her number, so we were good to go. We started to intentionally invest in Becca as her as a person. Once a week, Becca would come over for dinner we would break bread together and we would talk about nothing and everything. We built a relationship. She became very dear to us and we were ready to share our life and share our faith, the very gospel of God and our lives. When Susanna and I earned the right to speak into Becca's life, we began to end our weekly dinners with a story out of the Jesus Storybook Bible. It was a practical, low-threat way to share God's love with Becca. Don't get me wrong, the pictures in this thing, they help too. But in all seriousness, I commend this book to you. Young and old, I commend this book to you because it's a good resource that doesn't just tell a good moral story, but it shares the good news of the gospel. Author of the Jesus Storybook Bible, Sally Lloyd-Jones, in the introduction says this. There are lots of stories in the Bible, but all the stories are telling one big story. 
the story of how God loves his children and comes to rescue them. It takes the whole Bible to tell this story. And at the center of the story, there's a baby. Every story in the Bible whispers his name. Every story in the Bible whispers his name. The story of Noah's Ark whispers his name. The story of the Tower of Babel whispers his name. The story of Joseph whispers the name of Jesus. Like Joseph, the beloved son Jesus was away from home and away from the father. Like Joseph, Jesus was hated by his brothers. The religious leaders of the day, they didn't like his claims of being from God or like God or equal to God even. They were jealous and threatened by his power. Behind his back, they conspired to kill him. Like Joseph, Jesus was betrayed and sold for silver, but inflation went up and so it was 30 pieces instead of 20. Like Joseph, Jesus was falsely accused, yet the people yelled out to crucify him. Like Joseph, Jesus suffered. The soldiers mocked Jesus. They spit on him. They beat him. They crowned him with a crown of thorns, and they clothed him with an elegant robe. But here's how Jesus is the true and better Joseph. Unlike Joseph, Jesus never sinned. Unlike Joseph, Jesus was nailed to the cross and died. Unlike Joseph, Jesus was raised from the dead. Unlike Joseph, Jesus will rule and reign forever. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. God sent Jesus ahead in order that we, you and I, that we might be saved. Jesus was the perfect sacrifice and the sinner's substitute. In Jesus, there is redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished upon us. You see, forgiveness, it's not natural. What's natural is to want to get even. What's natural is to want to punish the other person by holding a grudge. What's natural is to want to cut off the other person and withhold relationship from them entirely. When someone sins against us, we get angry or sad. We feel shocked or betrayed. It hurts. When someone sins against us, it hurts. And when we're in that place of hurt, we don't want to lovingly move towards someone else and extend forgiveness. Therefore, forgiveness is not natural. It's a supernatural gift from God that is ours in Jesus. It's the spirit of God at work in our lives, transforming our very hearts towards holiness. When we comprehend how we've been forgiven, our forgiveness will be the fruit of our faith. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, you are forgiving. God, you are rich in love and mercy towards your people. God, we confess that we have rebelled. God, that we have sinned against you. That we are desperately in need 
of saving. And you, Jesus, are Savior. You delight in giving us good things, the best of things, your very self. And so God, I thank you for the forgiveness of sin that is ours in Jesus and allows for us to be in right relationship with you, God. I thank you for the way that you saved me from my sin and myself that we could stand up and share a message of forgiveness and salvation, God, to a lost and broken world. Would you have your way with your people? It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.